0: about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, I hope we can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out on May 7th, wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Welcome to the dough where cash is queen and we hardly know her but we're still here figuring her out together because y'all season two is here hosted every week by me x maya remember me I'm going to be talking to all types of people about their relationship to money. I'm talking to reality stars, entrepreneurs, financial experts, and even some of my own friends. Basically, anyone who will get real with me about their dollars, how they make money, how they spend it, and how they save it. Because I'm trying to retire early, people. Season 2 of The Dough is out now, wherever you get your podcasts. Lemonada.
0: I'm Kiki Monique, and this is I'm Sorry, a podcast about apologies. And this week was the first week that uh, the temperature in L.A. at night got a little bit cold, and I had to wear actual covered shoes, and I didn't like that.
1: This is Mohamed sheikhi and uh, this week I had a sesame bagel with strawberry cream cheese every day for the week. And uh, my digestive system <laughs> is, is, in a, is a wreck right now. It's... It's not working. It's done.
2: And I'm Oha Lopez. And I went on Craigslist and sold my dining room chairs to an unknown man who came up to my apartment with his wife. And then they sat down and we talked for an hour and a half. And I just know everything about them now. And that is, you know, that's my bad. The
0: fact that you even let Craigslist people have your real address already, oh, brave yeah. soul.
2: Yeah. Brave, and then you let them yeah. come
0: in and sit down and, and talk to you.
2: Well, we talked about the chairs. Very beautiful, vintage, like chairs that I bought off of Craigslist from another stranger who could have also murdered me. (laughs) But this time, this stranger and his wife, delightful people from Chicago, Illinois. Shout out, Dave, Lisa. I love you. New best friends. (laughs) Okay, so this week we are going to talk about Facebook. And I personally have been victimized by this company in many ways emotionally physically all of that but to start talking about Facebook in general is truly a monumentous task because what has not been said about this massive corporation about the head figure of the corporation and literally it just feels like like talking about the house when you're in the house and the house is burning you're like Mm -hmm. I gotta get out of this house before I can fully talk about it but it seems like we may never really be out of it but I'm excited to talk about Facebook and I'm going to start with a description of the very first picture I ever posted to my Facebook, which I went back and looked and it is me very sexily pouting into a mirror and you can both see the picture of myself in the mirror and then also you can see me
1: wow. oh, and I'm kissing
2: my own lips oh, in the mirror. Okay.
1: Wow. Okay. So
2: victimization A, you, they let me do that and they shouldn't have let me do that
1: wow you you really put a mirror to society that's that's amazing
2: <laughs> what year was this first post this is 2005 okay oh wow like, okay this is like early adopter pretty new yeah i still use my college email for facebook um that's the only reason that i know it but that was my first year of college was the first year i joined facebook but when did you guys join Facebook? would you remember this at all I don't even remember, like I tried to go back into history and it was like,
0: I used to post so much on it. I like, I think I stopped around 2009. I, I remember I felt like I went from Friendster to Facebook, maybe I felt like that's how the transition went. Or did Mm I go my, I don't remember. But it was definitely probably in that 2006 ish time, maybe.
1: Yeah, I created my account in uh, 2007. And my first post was, my hand hurts.
2: You have said <laughs> yep. that to me and I love it. That's it's one of that. my favorite facts
0: about you. And I you.
1: got two likes from people who, to this day, I'm not sure if they like the fact that my hand hurts or they were supportive of me.
0: Did we ever discover why your hand hurt? Like, was it just pulsating or was there a reason? Did you do something? <laughs> truly. Yeah, like
1: describe the pain. Truly no idea. I mean, I was, in, I was in high school then. And I guess, I mean, you know, it was just pain from being in, in you know, in the world. Just as a as a young man,
2: <laughs> right, right, because teenagers. Okay, this is Baba. Like, what do teenagers, that are boys, do the most of when they're that mm. age? You were hurting because of it was like a workers' comp situation. Um, you know yeah, what I mean?
1: Yeah, probably, <laughs> probably. And I feel like what um, you're referring to is a lot of clapping. Yes, I, that, <laughs> yes.
2: correct. Yeah, for other people, applause, applause, applause. applause yeah. We Um, but this is just to say that, like, when we were that age, we definitely were not, you know, billionaire and programming genius Mark Zuckerberg. We were um, maybe idiots in a different way.
0: Absolutely. Um,
2: but just to start off, and for me, like, as I was reading about Mark Zuckerberg, and just kind of the general differences, I put together a, a small description of what I thought he would put on his Tinder account if he was single, and this is what I have so far. Atheist, vegetarian, 5'7", Jewish colorblind with an accurate TSX, tech genius, busy. That's all I wrote.
0: (laughs) Sounds accurate. Uh,
2: Yeah. So that's kind of what my very baseline description of Mark Zuckerberg is. So he's born in 1984 in White Plains, New York. So that's two years before I'm born. So, you know, as of now, he's Uh, kind of late Mm thirties and his parents are a psychiatrist and then edward Zuckerberg's dad is a dentist so again like pretty like well to do like generally not worried about money kind of Mm -hmm. thing he's kind of like a pretty big nerd and in terms of like you know his tastes and what he likes and so he has like a star wars themed bar mitzvah when he was 13 and then after that he Goes into high school and generally speaking, like, you know, people think he's smart. He's got a lot going on. And then he goes to Ardsville High School, which I really want to point out that also Jesse McCartney went to. Do you guys know oh. who Jesse McCartney yeah. is? Because he I, he's highly beloved. Yeah. Do you guys remember that? I don't want nothing to go to waste. I'm a I don't know what you're doing to know what to remember. So <laughs> yeah, I... this Okay, I'm singing a song that Jesse McCartney sings called Beautiful Soul. Okay. This is a very hard tangent from Mark Zuckerberg, but once I found out they went to the same high school, I was like, I got to I got to bop, Beautiful Soul. So I've been listening to Beautiful Soul all day today. So, okay, so after high school, he is, like, excelling like crazy, and he transfers in his junior year to a private school called uh, Phillips Exeter Academy. Mm, Sounds fancy and rich. Oh, very fancy, very rich. It's, like, one semester is $45,000. Okay. So it's just, like, very, very fancy. But it also is sort of, like, a high-achieving kind of big space and i mean my high school was a small house on a hill Mm -hmm. so i cannot identify what with this specific thing i mean we barely had organized sports so this definitely feels interesting and then andrew yang went to this school Mm. in particular as well okay yeah and a ton of people go to this school that then become you know pulitzer prize winners Nobel laureates people who are like in politics like this is amazing yeah
1: Election losers. Yeah.
2: Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, this is another interesting thing that I really like about Exeter is that my fave Roxanne Gay went there too. Oh, so, not all is bad. Okay. You know what I mean? Like, We've got some illustrious people that we actually think are cool coming out of there as well. Okay. So another thing just from reading about Mark at this time is he's like, he can read and write French, Hebrew, Latin, ancient Greek. He's obsessed with Greek mythology. Like, I feel all like, I don't know if everybody goes through a phase where everybody's into Greek mythology. Is Isn't this that just... the
1: reason he has that haircut of his? Correct. Yeah. The C like yeah. is that a Caesar haircut? <laughs> yep, it is. Yeah, he's, oh. he's yeah, he's obsessed. It's also like very surprising to me that he can all like speak all of these languages for a man who literally can barely communicate in English. <laughs>
2: <laughs> From there, he goes into Harvard, aka school for you know main character villains. That's what it feels like, anyways, or comedy writers, <laughs> either or. And so he starts classes in, in two thousand and two. And I remember when the big scandal about FaceMash mm-hmm. like came out, where he basically created a program uh that lets students select like the best looking person between a choice of photographs. So he's in his second year of college and he basically bases it off of this hot or not game, yeah. but it's specific to Harvard students. And you know when i think about face mash in in general it also gives me again very sort of like fraternity shitty like shitty to women it just gives me those vibes and and again i think that's one of the reasons why it sort of like went viral inside of harvard yeah it has a lot of like the the bad things that we don't like that aren't really kind of acceptable anymore at least in mainstream society anyways yeah. and generally speaking i feel like mark's personality at that point is very similar to that as well
1: so you see two pictures of people like and i assume it's only women right and then you pick one and then what happens does it like go on like in a competition with another picture now or like
2: yeah it it would do that but then it would also like show you the percentages and show you like oh this person is not and so it would kind of like rank women sort of based on looks And I think the thing that's sort of egregious about it, too, is that it's a small environment um, only of students that are on campus. So it's like live people that are there. So it's turned into this kind of like, you know, a, a little sort of insidious, shitty uh, ranking system yeah but yeah so it attracts 450 visitors in its first four hours online and then 22,000 photo views at the same time oh wow so these are just these 450 visitors have viewed the pictures 22,000 times individual not individually but like yeah weekly. yeah So um, it gets forwarded to several campus group list servers, but then it's shut down almost immediately by Harvard administration within, you know, the next two to three days. So basically, Harvard is like, you're facing expulsion now. Mm -hmm. And he ends up getting charged by the administration with like breach of security, with violating copyrights and then violating individuals privacy. And I'm like, oh, my God, what does that feel like? Like, even at that very beginning, Harvard is like, no, you violated privacy. But ultimately, then the charges get dropped.
1: I'll I'll just have to say I just you know I wouldn't say that about anyone except Mark Zuckerberg. But it's just something so funny to me about Mark Zuckerberg just sitting there trying to decide who looks good and who doesn't.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And
1: I'm like, bro. <laughs> yeah, it it shouldn't be you.
2: So this is sort of really the beginning of Facebook and really he starts with the Winklevoss twins. So the Winklevoss twins kind of come in and ask him to create uh, what they think is going to be the hard connection.com. And, and then at the same time, uh, as we see on the uh, social network, Mark sort of like kind of steals that idea. And in my mind, I think he's like, I can do this way better and I can make it my way. And he sort of like kind of undercuts the Winklevoss twins and goes on to create uh Facebook.com. And so immediately within its first 24 hours, 1,200 to 1,500 students signed up for it, which is insane to me. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So six days after the launch of the site, this is when we start to see some of the main characters for Social Network kind of coming to the picture with uh, Facebook. So it's the Winklevoss twins, it's Divya Narendra, and then a couple of other people. But just to kind of start up with this, the Winklevoss twins kind of come in first, and they are basically accusing Mark right off the bat of kind of stealing the HarvardConnection.com idea. So they basically say that Mark Zuckerberg uses their idea to build kind of a competing product, and then the three complained to Harvard Crimson, which is the newspaper. So then the newspaper begins an investigation. So it's just such a strange thing what happens next, because this is, to me, like... Very clearly, an idea of the Mark Zuckerberg personality, which is he then uses Facebook to find members in the site who are actually members of Crimson. And then he examines a history of failed logins to see if any of those Crimson members have entered like an incorrect password into Facebook.com. Basically, meaning to say, have any of these people who are investigating me, are any of them actual users of Facebook? so he ends up being able to, on the back end, access these uh, Crimson members' email accounts, and he's kind of successful in actually, like, hacking them, which then results in Crimson members filing a lawsuit against Zuckerberg, which is later settled on. So this guy is already, from the very beginning, like... Machinating, Like, he is, like, so calculated and crazy, right?
1: Very sketchy, yeah. This
2: is what white people can get away with. This story would have not
0: gotten any (laughs) further if this was not a white guy. Because, like, the minute, like, the administration stepped in, if there was a brown or a black person, they would be like, expel, goodbye, your life is ruined. But he's like, he gets chance after chance. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Dude literally doing, like, cyber crimes. That's that's what he's doing. And they're like, Mark, come on, man. And he's like, okay. Okay. I'm sorry. And no surprise, he's like literally now doing, you know, he's like a billionaire and doing crimes on like not even a national level, international level, global level.
2: Global effects, baby.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: This is a man. Yeah. No one has ever said no to him.
0: Yeah. He's been enabled his entire life. Why would he not be a billionaire? He was set up for this life.
2: Wiser Than Me Season 2 is out now from Lemonada Media.
3: Do you ever get hit with a cringy memory of your 13-year-old self out of nowhere and suddenly you're panicked, sweating, and laughing at the same time? Don't, don't worry, don't worry. We all get that. It's because being an adolescent is one of the most visceral shared experiences we have as people, and we want to talk about it. Join me, Penn Badgley, and my two friends, Nava and Sophie, on Podcrushed as we interview celebrity guests about the joys and horrors of being a teenager, and how those moments made them who they are today. New episodes of Podcrush are out now, wherever you get your podcasts.
2: So Facebook is kind of expanding rapidly. It's moving into other Boston-area schools and the rest of Ivy League. And by the end of the year, the site has one million users And this is when Peter Thiel, who ends up being Facebook's uh, angel investor, invests $500,000. And then Zuckerberg kind of like finally leaves Harvard to run Facebook um, from its new headquarters in California. And this is just to go up in your mind as like he is not yet a a billionaire, but he will be a billionaire by age 23.
1: At this point, he's
2: still, again... A junior in college so this is like beyond our kind of wildest dreams if that makes sense
1: yeah it's just so insane to me because to me this this was like a very simple idea you know and i don't know how it's that different from i don't know i don't know how it's different from like myspace or something because he just took that and like took it to another level i guess just added like some feature like made it easy to use and i just think it's interesting how like it went worldwide after, you know, it's no longer like a an Ivy League thing, you know, it's all around the US, all around the world, everyone is using it.
2: Yeah. I mean, I remember feeling like it was exclusive and like you had to have that email in order to get yes. it. Mm-hmm. So I think maybe that was part of the lore at the beginning too, of feeling like, oh fuck, not everybody can be on this. And the fact that it started an Ivy League. So again, there's sort of an association yeah. with... Feeling like you're a part of the upper echelon if you get to be on Facebook. Yeah,
1: and I remember like at first, you cannot post anything publicly. Like in order for you to see anyone's post, you have to f- to send them a friend request and they have to accept you or else you can't see anything. Mm-hmm.
2: Was also Facebook like, you know how like when these platforms usually roll out, they'll do like invite only access to platforms. Yeah. And I think that was kind of the first example of it feeling like that, of it feeling like, okay, only you can only get added to it if you either have an invite or if you have this kind of if you have this kind of email. Well, I remember
0: when Gmail was like that. I was so pressed to get like on the beta. Like I was like, (laughs) I need to get this invite to Gmail. I was pressed. And now that Gmail is one of the problems why I have three hundred thousand unread emails because I've had it for so long and I don't use it and it just collects. But you know, now everyone can have a Gmail, but yeah, felt exclusive at the time.
2: Yeah, and you know, at the again at the same time, Mark Zuckerberg is cutting Saverin out. He's cutting the Winklevoss twins out. He's he's just on a different level, I think, than the people who are users. Like we don't understand all these lawsuits and these you know breaches that are happening on the back end. And it just feels like from day one, he kind of knows what each next step is to get to what Facebook is today, which is just honestly a company that owns a ton of other companies. He definitely knows the next steps,
0: but he's also at that time, one of those people (laughs) that believes because he knows how to actually do the coding, that he is worth 100% of the company. Whereas like People who came to him with ideas and he's like, oh, I see that as a good idea. I know how to integrate that and make it work in the system, whereas you don't know how to do that. He takes advantage of that because he's like, he will steal that idea and then use it to his advantage because they don't know how to actually make it happen. And he
2: does. Got it. And he ends up cutting these people out um, who then file lawsuits back at him. And I, I see him as somebody who finds those things to be like nuisances kind of versus like real problems. Um, which honestly, again, I think is a part of the privilege aspect of it is like, if I get sued, it's the worst thing that has ever happened (laughs) to me right now. But even at that age, he is so like he feels he is deserving of this thing that he created and that other kinds of ideas don't actually matter. So when I actually was going over the details of how he cut Zavrin from Facebook and ended up like diluting his steak, the way that he twists things and the way that he invalidate Savarin's like accomplishments and what he actually contributed to Facebook, it feels really, it, it, I know this people use this word a lot, but it feels like sociopathic. Like it feels like oh, he's absolutely. like taking away reality and replacing it with his own set
1: of values. He's 100% a psychopath. I have no, <laughs> <Yeah>.
2: <laughs> you have no doubt. I have no doubt.
1: But yeah, I mean, I mean, I guess we can like talk also about like, you know, like how, you know, Facebook was like very significant in like a lot of parts of the world. You know, like in in 2010 and 2011, like the Arab Spring and the revolutions that were happening in the Middle East and North Africa. Because I remember, I, I grew up in Libya and I was I was there at the time, and that was the only form of communication. People like only used Facebook. Because the news, you can't get anything on the news, you know. Yeah. And uh, you have no access to anything else. And Facebook kind of like gave people that kind of like a a platform to. Know what was happening and what was taking place, because you know you can create a fake account and just go in and say whatever. And I feel like it was the first time the government didn't have a control over something, because if you shut down Facebook, you can just use like you know a VPN or something and still access it. So it was very interesting how it was used in that for that purpose.
0: And that had to give Mark even more of a God complex because here it is like I am literally changing the world. People who couldn't organize, you know, just a year ago can now organize politically and make actual change. Like I'm a good person. Love me.
2: Yeah, I think what you say now reminds me of it's linked into whatsapp and and that encryption and how whatsapp is i mean that's how i communicate with my family members mm-hmm. that are in latin america Same, yep. it is my number one source of communication with people all over the world and so it it reminds me a lot of how it's almost like integrating into people's core lives it's sort of like a a, a carry system for information that is now i wouldn't necessarily call it a crutch but Once you you become dependent, basically, Mm -hmm. and in Venezuela, I mean, like people use WhatsApp, as I imagine people use Facebook at this time as well, to buy things, to trade, to barter, to get food, to in countries where you don't have resources and you have to depend on community based products or community based support. These, you know, different levels of communication, especially if they're encrypted and are outside of government reach, are Pivotal to these people doing what they need to mm-hmm. do, not just a revolution, but generally like their day to day work even. And um, I think this is a really interesting time because I feel like then Facebook, which I know a couple years later, ends up buying Instagram mm-hmm. for a billion dollars, which in in essence to me, I mean, Instagram is a huge part of my life right now facebook i don't care about Mm -hmm. even though it is the parent company it's almost like i don't give a fuck about at&t but i love my iphone that i have it's just like this unseen you know partner in my life but instagram is huge for me do you guys feel i mean that feels like a massive and important purchase for them and to me i think like the signal that they they can recognize what's next, you know?
0: And they got a deal. I mean, a billion dollars for Instagram Yeah,
1: feels like a slashed price. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And it's crazy because, like, when you think about Mark Zuckerberg, you only think of him as a connection to Facebook. But for some reason, in, you, in my brain at least, he's separate from Instagram and he's separate from WhatsApp. I don't associate him with these things. Totally. Yeah. I don't know why. That's yeah. probably
2: a decision. Like, mm-hmm. that's probably an actual like a, a decision that they've made to not put it under the Facebook sort of brand, you know? It totally is. And like, I didn't, I I didn't even think about Mark
0: Zuckerberg being on Instagram, because I was like, why would he have a profile on Instagram? And so I started following him today because we were talking about him. And I was like, oh, he has a whole life on here that now I have to dig into. And it's weird. And I didn't even realize this was happening.
1: Oh, I've always followed him on Instagram. I'm like cannot get enough of Mark Zuckerberg. You know, this man that
2: content master. Oh my god. Ooh. He's <laughs> pumping out he's pumping out TikTok stories and reels like crazy. Absolutely.
1: Love to see uh, what land this man is buying in some uh, native land and just building a house on. <laughs>
2: My God, I the idea of of Mark Zuckerberg as an influencer is so strange because he is he's like a huge massive uh, has a huge massive influence on the world. But to see him reduced on Instagram with his like family life or whatever. It's just, it's just so interesting when billionaires try to be normal people. Yeah. It doesn't quite work, does it?
1: It's it's not. He's, and, and he's not even an interesting villain. He's not like a Corrella or something. He's just so boring.
2: Mm, yeah, he wears the same thing every day. Did you guys ever hear that story about Daniel Radcliffe where he like for a year out of the Broadway uh, play, which I was about to call Equifax, by the way. I know that's not right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, he just wore the same thing every day so that the paparazzis couldn't sell his pictures. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. I find that Mark Zuckerberg is probably doing something similar. He's just trying to take away brain space from clothing. But anyways, that's my my tangent here. But all these kind of controversies or significant events is, I feel like we're waking up to the influence and power that Facebook has, Mm -hmm. kind of like in the mid-10s. And then finally we start to kind of see... Sort of like the ways in which it's sort of negatively affecting, you know, the relationships with it. And this happens when one of the things that I remember the most is in 2014, which is the same year that it buys WhatsApp, uh, Facebook is somehow then starting to crack down on Facebook profiles of drag queens in San Francisco, and it's asking them to... Switched from their drag names to using their real names and then shutting down the accounts of those who are refusing to comply, which is such a weird, strange like thing Yeah, because it makes me feel like they want your real information. They want your real attention. They don't want your persona. They don't want you to use this. As anything except for what we can use for our marketing tools, you know what I mean? Absolutely,
1: yeah. I mean, they, they want to sell you stuff, so they have to know as much about you as possible. So, a fake name doesn't really doesn't really cut it.
2: Hi, I'm June Diane Raphael. And I'm Jessica St. Clair. And each week we are sitting down to talk all about life's twists, turns, and absurdities on The Deep Dive. From exploring the depths of TikTok, which is our only news source, to navigating the complexities of grief and loss, we are just two best friends behind a mic processing life together. This podcast is all about finding the silver linings in the madness, so get ready for unfiltered conversations about motherhood, careers, pop culture, and everything in between. Here at The Deep Dive, we're all about community. We believe in the power of sharing experiences and the strength that comes from supporting one another, and we would love to have you with us. So be sure to join us every Wednesday on The Deep Dive from Lemonata Media, wherever you get your podcasts. can't get enough of your favorite Lemonada Media podcasts? By subscribing to Lemonada Premium today, you'll gain access to fun and inspiring bonus content from all of our podcasts across the Lemonada Media network. As a subscriber, you can listen to never-before-heard interview excerpts between Julia Louis-Dreyfus and her A-plus guests on Wiser Than Me, laugh along with Elise Myers as she and her guests play a rapid-fire questions game on Funny Cause It's True, and continue to uncover new ways to make life suck less through our exclusive subscriber audio. Check out a free trial of Lemonata Premium today in the Apple Podcast app by clicking on our podcast logo and then the subscribe button. Okay, so just to kind of keep going through it. So we reach, I think, a real cusp of when we really start realizing just how insane Facebook is and the level of reach it has into our lives. And that for me personally, it's the 2016 election and the the kind of campaign gearing up to it where we kind of start hearing you know Mark Zuckerberg sort of like try to distance himself from like what fake news is, what it mm-hmm. means. And you know, there's a quote from him that I think is really interesting. Uh, from 2016. And I'm just going to read the quote full out where it says, personally, I think the idea that fake news on Facebook, of which it's a very small amount of the content, influenced the election in any way is a pretty crazy idea. Mm. So that's Mark Zuckerberg talking about the sort of fake news phenomenon after Donald Trump really for everyone kind of unexpectedly won the White House. So this is where Uh, Russia starts to come into play Fake news starts to come into play And I feel like we reach Where we still are right now Which is like just Misinformation era 101
1: Mm -hmm.
2: So during the The election like Just go off right off the bat And admit that I have shared fake news In my (laughs) lifetime Then found out that it was fake news Was immediately horrified at myself And vowed to never do that again But Uh, Do you guys, have you guys ever shared fake news? Like, oh my God, don't leave me alone.
1: I don't think I've ever shared news on Facebook, to be honest.
0: I've shared like a fake meme, like a meme that was like a quote that it was going around about Donald Trump, about something he said, like if I were going to run for any party, it would be the Republicans because they're so dumb or something like that. I
1: remember that, that, yeah. It
0: wasn't really what he said, but everyone was sharing it. And I definitely remember sharing that.
1: It's so funny, like how stuff like that meme, like, on both sides like democrats and republicans and you see like people sharing them as if they were like facts of life
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah baby yeah oh yeah and it's, oh,
1: and it's and it's crazy because you know what it's so funny to me when you hear like people like are like you know gen x or like boomers or something talk about like younger people and are like yeah they get all of their information from where tiktok what is that? And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, but you also get your, all of your information from memes. Yeah. And not even well-designed memes. <laughs> they look bad.
2: Oh man. Yeah. It, it is really interesting. Cause I guess when I think of like, of sharing, I, I have this vision that comes to mind of this, of, of who it is, you know? And it usually is like, people who aren't necessarily like savvy online but that's not actually true is no that's not true at all I mean I feel like yeah yeah. it, it definitely feels like I have like a stereotype in my head of who shares this stuff. yeah but it's a, a much more widespread problem, I think, than it's all over. Yeah. What I've envisioned yeah. until now. No,
1: my dad sends me the worst shit ever on my <laughs> fa- <laughs> Facebook yeah. inbox. He's just like, you know, like send me on Messenger. He's like, sends me a meme. I remember, especially during like the beginning of the pandemic, I remember he sent me a picture of a train that said COVID 19 on it. <laughs> And it was like, that's how they brought it in, and I was just like, please stop.
2: By train. Yes.
1: I was like, what? I was like, oh. I was like, literally, if we look into this, your whole theory will just fall apart immediately. Mm-hmm. And I was like, who sent you this? He was like, my friend sent it to me, and I was like, is who's your friend, Fauci? Yeah, it was. It truly, truly insane shit.
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah, I just when I think about all of these, just like. 60-year-olds that are just online, like, sending bad information and fighting all day. Like, that's what I feel like what happens when I go home for, like, the holidays. And, you know, (laughs) like my mom who, you know, she'll be friends with these people who don't have the same political views. But she's known for, you know, 30 years. So they're friends on Facebook. And then she'll just show me all the stuff that, you know... One friend is showing and I'm just like, and she'll have her whole things like, and so I posted this. And it's like, this is what they do all day. Just sort of like post these things back and forth. And I'm like, I need out of this world.
2: Yeah. My mom has definitely shifted into that. But before it was just like her looking for me. Like, I was like <laughs> out out in my world, not calling her back. And so she's like posting on my friend's pages. Like, have you talked to Oha? Tell her to call me back. And I'm like, mom this is me as a full, like, 27-year-old, you guys. Oh, my God. My mom is supreme embarrassing yeah. online. <laughs> um, just no woman. Yeah, my mom is definitely also sharing, you know, fake news articles and just, again, it just all seems like the machine is starting to build. And online is now being, like, funneled into it.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And I feel like the funny thing about Mark Zuckerberg and like Facebook and and all of that, I feel like he is the only person that both, you know, Democrats and Republicans do not like him. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they both align. Because Republicans are like, you keep censoring us we can't talk and you keep like hiding the stuff that we post. And then Democrats, you're like, well, you literally just try to destroy democracy with your bullshit. And uh, so he is like, not liked by anyone. And I've watched all of the hearings he was in and truly some of the best comedy I've ever seen.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And the saddest part is like, they all hate him, but he's richer than like most of them combined. And so they also can't do
2: anything about it.
1: He does not care. That man does not give a fuck. He has nothing inside.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's so weird looking at like how he comments on things is also such a demonstration of like who he is as a person. Like when he's talking about the Harvard stuff, he's like, well, we're not forcing anybody to publicize their, you know, information about themselves. And then again, at Harvard, he's sort of like, well, they trust me, these dumb fucks. Like that's a direct quote from him. So it's just this thing where it's like, well, are you apologizing? Because on the back end, it really feels like you feel differently. Like he's just almost like a PR move in and of himself. But whenever we get insight into what he's actually thinking, whether it be because like his instant messages get publicized or, you know, all that stuff that happened during like Wired or TechCrunch or it it just seems like when we figure out what's actually going on, he's always fucking lying about something. Like it's never transparent.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, we can get into his Congress testimony or or like hearing. Yeah. And it was, you know, it was mostly about over Cambridge Analytica.
0: So yeah, the Cambridge Analytica stuff was, I would say, I think it's the first time that people like me, who was not really like paying attention to Facebook at this point, but knew what this sort of scandal that had happened behind the scenes. And so it sounds like what happened is some dude uploaded an app, because I guess if you knew how to code and upload apps to Facebook, that was allowed to be done at that time. So he uploads this app that is a quiz that people can take, and it, it, and it, draw, it gets information into this app. And part of that app is you link people that you are friends with. And through that linking of the friends, they are, can then access those friends profiles, even though the friends did not... Interact with this app. They now have access. Yeah. yeah, they have access to this app. And so all of that information that this app collected is in sold to Cambridge Analytica, which is used for the Trump campaign to, I guess, target these individuals.
2: Yeah. And actually, at that time, my my understanding was that it was actually for a, Cambridge Analytica was working for Ted Cruz, actually, at that time. okay, And they were data harvesting from... Kind of millions of people's Facebook accounts. And then it kind of comes out in The Intercept. And then in 2016, Trump also paid Cambridge Analytica. But this is after the kind of scandal comes out, which is so wild because it's like even after Cambridge has this horrible reputation, you still have like terrible players that are taking advantage of it. Yeah. So it's both like Ted Cruz and the Trump campaign.
1: Yeah.
0: And it's not just like thousands of people. I mean, they got eighty information on eighty-seven million Facebook users. Jesus. It's
1: yeah, so that's insane. insane. And I remember like Mark Zuckerberg then posted about it on Facebook. He posted a Facebook apology where he basically explained what happened with Cambridge Analytica and the and the app and all of that. And kind of like, you know, went through the values of Facebook and what they're gonna do in the future. And again, that written apology itself, there was no really like there was like no admission of guilt. The word I'm sorry was not used. It was again him explaining to you, you know, what he assumed that you did not understand, you dumb fuck.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And there's a great documentary called The Great Hack on Netflix that goes into detail it's kind of like the first feature length media piece on it. It's a great watch. And it just basically talks about kind of the individuals involved and specifically, you know, from the basis of one person who was trying to find out like what Cambridge Analytica had on them, mm-hmm. which I think was my interaction with it. Whereas like, it was almost like a moment of like, did I get into Harvard or was I hacked by Cambridge Analytica? Cause it kind of came back as like a, yeah. yes, you were your, you know, your information was, you know, you are in breach or you, you, You're a part of this. And I was totally a part of that hack. Mm -hmm. And it was definitely like the first time that I felt like, oh, fuck, it's like reaching into my life. Like, I don't have control over my data. And then I started getting like pissed off. But not enough to delete Facebook, which is again story of our lives. Sometimes, well, yeah. even
0: if you do get pissed off, you can't delete it because if you want to have an Instagram business profile in any way, monetize in any way, you still have to have your Facebook profile. Trust me, I would have—I didn't—I would have that. deleted so long ago. But you're just—you're not allowed.
2: After this whole Cambridge Analytica stuff goes down, we're all reeling. But then Zuckerberg actually ends up having to testify before Congress really regarding these concerns over data and privacy breaches. And that's April of 2018. Uh, So it's kind of the first time in really over a decade that Facebook even exists where they're actually having to kind of face some of the consequences and lawmakers are kind of taking a lot of notice of what's going on at this point well they have to i mean at this point the american public is furious
0: i mean we have oh my god yeah we have donald trump in office and all we have is like facebook is responsible for creating the situation so yeah
2: you better get in front of somebody question this man please (laughs) Um, So in his opening statement before the Joint Senate Committee, he sort of apologizes and uh, delivers an opening statement. So let's go ahead and go to that.
3: Facebook is an idealistic and optimistic company. For most of our existence, we focused on all of the good that connecting people can do. And as Facebook has grown, people everywhere have gotten a powerful new tool for staying connected to the people they love for making their voices heard, and for building communities and businesses. But it's clear now that we didn't do enough to prevent these tools from being used for harm as well. And that goes for fake news, for foreign interference in elections and hate speech, as well as developers and data privacy. We didn't take a broad enough view of our responsibility, and that was a big mistake. And it was my mistake, and I'm sorry. I started Facebook, I run it, And I'm responsible for what happens here. It's not enough to just connect people. We have to make sure that those connections are positive. It's not enough to just give people a voice. We need to make sure that people aren't using it to harm other people or to spread misinformation. And it's not enough to just give people control over their information. We need to make sure that the developers they share it with protect their information too. It will take some time to work through all the changes we need to make across the company. But I'm committed to getting this right.
2: So he kind of like Disney addresses all of the issues. I'm going to call it Disney addressing when you only talk about the top 5% of problems. And those 5% of problems are like really nice and tidy. Yeah, It is an opening statement. So the intention is not necessarily to go into it fully. But, you know, he's acknowledging that there's some issues, which is nice. You know, I guess he didn't necessarily have to do that. But the reality is that the PR issue was so massive that. At that point, it's like, OK, There's needs to be some acknowledgement here in order for people to even believe the next words that I say.
0: I just feel like at this moment, Zuck, Zuck is being classic <laughs> Zuck, right? He knows he's the smartest guy in the room. And because of that, he just he says enough To be like, this is what will appease you, but I'm still going to win. But I'm going to
2: just like let you have this little thing to make you feel good. It's it's the same playbook. Yeah, it seems like he's getting questioned for like almost 10 hours. And it's like over the course of two days. But I I will be honest, like it seems like at this point, maybe we're going to see some new legislation, like something Mm -hmm. feels like it's about to change. But then based on kind of like the questions that they're asking, it feels like nobody actually knows what the (laughs) hell they're talking about.
1: Yep. It was your grandparents asking you how technology works.
2: Genuinely, it felt like when I was teaching my grandpa how to download music illegally onto his iPod, it was like going to the basic math level too. I, I remember they asked questions about data categories, about how many users were active. It just didn't make any sense with what they were actually there for. Yeah. So I guess in terms of impressions of the congressional hearing, like it feels like they didn't really answer questions about actual um, possibilities of regulation. Like they just sort of like asked questions and didn't really come up with a great solution afterwards. Yeah. Cause no
1: one had no idea what they're talking about. And that was the major issue. No one understands how social media works at the time. You know, maybe now we have a better understanding, but at the time it was the first time they even like questioned someone about that and like the extent of it, and how something that was supposed to connect it together and just be fun, now is in the middle of you know basically just ruining democracy. And there was like so much to you know so much to unpack there. And truly, uh, some of the worst people were asking questions because they had no idea what was happening.
2: Yeah, it, it definitely seems like the. The hearings in particular, but it seems like people are impatient, like they're done and they don't want to hear any more lines from Zuckerberg. But it definitely seems like that's kind of what's coming out of that. So all this kind of leads up to in January of 2020, it's like we've seen Facebook apologize like three times a year for, you know, every single thing as they grow as a company. And so I think they decide to change their kind of like PR perspective and they want to start separating like who Mark Zuckerberg is from the Facebook brand, which, A, good luck, but B, they sort of decide that Facebook just needs to stop apologizing. Like they need to take on a different approach, which I'll go ahead and call kind of like the Trump approach, where they just don't apologize at all. They don't acknowledge wrongdoings. And when they do, they downplay the severity of whatever it is that they've done. But that ultimately lasts just a few months before uh, Zuckerberg has to apologize a whole slew of times for kind of new grievances and new things that happen. So in this next episode or part two, we'll be addressing the latest gaps on the side of Facebook. We'll talk whistleblowers, we'll talk lawmakers, and we'll see how it's affecting Facebook uh, in the future.
1: Okay, and now uh, I'm excited for uh, my favorite segment of this episode, which is Sorry, not sorry. Do you guys have anything that you want to apologize for this week?
0: <laughs> um, I mean, okay, my apology may be a little controversial, but I feel like I owe this apology. And this isn't to like every person who was against vaccine mandates, and I know I'm starting this in a weird place, but I will say that I, I'm holding my breath. <laughs> <laughs> I there's a comedy show that I really want to go to. It's in a couple weeks. And in order to be able to go, I had to sign up with basically a vaccine passport. Like I had to enter, I had to do like a facial recognition scan. I had to enter all of my information. And I will just say that it made me feel some type of way. And so I'm just saying I'm sorry to the people that maybe I was sort of like, I won't say I was making fun of them, but really like, I was making fun of them for for saying that we were living in this dystopian future because it really did feel that way for a second when I had to do all that. Uh, so I'm sorry. Yeah. That's
1: funny. I mean, I'm 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 just surprised because I I don't have uh, a comedy show in two weeks, so not sure what show you're going to. <laughs> wow,
2: Kiki, just <laughs> cheating I'm on mom. And-
1: but hey, you know whatever. I mean, maybe maybe you have other comedians that you like. Uh,
2: well, I will say, as a person who had to go through like biometrics and all of that to get a green card and to get into the country, I feel like the United States has my blood on hand. Like I feel like the U.S. has. Every single thing that they need to regulate where I am at any given moment. So, I feel very much just delivered to the state. You know oh, what I mean? Oh,
1: absolutely. When people are like, the government is trying to track us, and I'm like, oh, they're just trying to track you right now? <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. You're, th- this is fair, because I absolutely have global entry, and for, a trip, to, for wow. a trip to Italy, I had no problem giving it up, but it was just something about going into, like, a dank basement in L.A. that I had to give it all up for that made me feel some type of way. <laughs> Lex.
1: <laughs> so, Oha, what do you have this week?
2: Um, Well, honestly, I would like to receive an apology. Um, And, you know, usually my humiliations are very small and day-to-day. Mm-hmm. But I would like to receive an apology from my dog right now. I feel like she was supposed to make my life better, but right now we're on a down slump and she's making my life worse. <laughs> <laughs> and, <laughs> That's and- why you need cats. That's okay. Right, you guys may be right, but... She's been um, on a tear lately where she, um, God, is this, out of all the things I've said on this podcast, I feel like this may be the, the most uh, rated R, where she, not just for Halloween, but in general, decides to take tampons out of my trash bag and then sparse them around uh, <laughs> the house. And could she be saying something about her quality of life? Is this a protest? I don't know. All I know is that that bitch needs to apologize to me, okay?
1: I think uh, if uh, OHA's pets are listening to the podcast, you need to unionize. Like, uh, you need to be in a union. (laughs) Uh, You have rights. Don't listen to her. Uh, Yeah. Mahanid, yeah, what are you... Is someone apologizing to you this week? No, but speaking of pets, I want to apologize to my two cats because first I had a party at my place, which they did not like. They hated that I invited <laughs> people over they were yeah. <laughs> uh one of my cats hissed for the first time at someone uh, <laughs> and also because we were like we were like like I had like two costumes. Rosie had like two different costumes as well. So they were very confused whenever we came back from like a party or something. As into who the fuck are these people? <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, Rosie went as one of our cats, Una. She literally just like painted her face on her face. And I don't think she she liked that. She was like, you know, my culture is not your costume. And. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, so my apologies to them. This will not happen again until next year, obviously. But, you know, you, you got to live with it.
0: I'm Sorry is a Lemonada Media original. The show is produced by Alex McCohen. Supervising producer is Chrissy Pease. Our executive producers are Stephanie Whittles-Wax and Jessica Cordova-Kramer. Our mix is by Kat Yore, and theme music was composed by Xander Singh. If you like this show, please rate and review and please don't cancel us. You can find out more about our show at Lemonada Media on all social platforms or follow us on Instagram at I'm sorry underscore podcast. We'll be back next week. And until then, be nice, play fair and always say I'm sorry. Thanks for listening.
3: I'm Paul F. Tompkins. I'm Lauren Lapkus. I'm Scott Ackerman, and together we make up the show Freedom. Freedom is a show where the three of us, who are comedians and also friends, we all just hang out. We tell stories about each other, and about <laughs> ourselves. <laughs> We're constantly telling stories about each other. You got it, Rapalda. <laughs> and we play games and we laugh a lot. It's just that simple. It's a really easy podcast. This is a pretty good representation of the show. <laughs> it's actually exactly what it is, plus singing. <laughs> so listen to it now. The new season's out. Get it. Where Wherever you get your podcast, just go outside and scream freedom, just like we do. Freedom, freedom.
2: freedom! Hey, friends, it's Megan Trainer
3: and her big bro Ryan Trainer and her husband Daryl Sabara.
2: Each week on our podcast, working on it, we share behind-the-scenes stories and bring you into our hilarious and heartfelt conversations, and sometimes with amazing guests.
3: We tackle everything from navigating Hollywood to mental health to Megan becoming a mother, Daryl becoming a father, and so much more.
0: We'll get into the nitty gritty of our lives and leave no detail
3: behind. Prepare to laugh, cry, and hopefully learn something new.
2: Listen to new episodes out every Wednesday wherever you get your podcasts.